Unashamed, the recovery podcast. So, unless you've been under a rock for these past mm, 10 years or so, you're very much well aware of the social media outrage over the post about choice versus disease. It's a post that gets everybody in an uproar, no matter what their side is, whether you are choice or whether you are disease when you're talking about addiction. That post, somehow or another, has a way of bringing out people's worst. And in case you don't know what we're talking about, here's a very, very brief clip of that of a, an example of that post. I got a message a lot of people don't want to hear. Your addiction is not a disease. You need to quit telling people that. You need to quit letting people tell you that. There are people out there with terminal illnesses and diseases that they cannot get rid of. They did not choose one day to get a disease and a terminal illness. You chose to walk into and get addicted to whatever it is, whether it's drug, whether it's alcohol, whether it's porn, whatever it is, you made that decision. And all you have to do is, guess what? Make a decision to stop. It's nothing more, nothing less. Quit letting people tell you you need all these medicines, all these rehab all these people feeling sorry because you can't get out oh you can it takes a decision in your mind and when you make it you can walk right out of it that is disrespectful to people with terminal illnesses and diseases that they can't get rid of and here you are with an addiction that you chose to have and calling it the same thing i i was in addiction for a long time because of my choices and you know what it took the same choice decision to get up and stop we feel sorry for yourself and quit letting people tell you it's a disease it's not So uh, today's guest is going to be a, a good friend of mine, a good friend of Josh's as well. Uh, she's been around Jacob's Well for at least the last 10 years. Uh, she is the princess. She's going to kill me for saying this, the princess of recovery. But uh, in all seriousness, her family has been inv involved in recovery um, for some decades, for some time. Um, she's going to kind of shine the light on the aspects of nature versus nurture, choice versus uh, disease. Um, we're going to hit on some highlights today. Her name is Amy Lee Brogan. She's uh, a very special person. She goes around talking to a bunch of uh, celebrate recovery groups, recovery groups in general, uh, and churches. so and churches as well. So we're just going to let her kind of uh, give the little spill today uh, as far as what it looks like as a choice or as a disease. And, you know, as a opener for season three i can't think of a a better way for us to open up than with this this is such a a heated topic and i i can't wait for people to hear a different side and amy that's exactly what you have on this is you've got a completely different side that people don't get to hear much about and so why don't you go ahead and set it up for us and kind of tell the listeners a little bit about what you got going on here Sure, absolutely. I'm really passionate about addiction and to me, I'm a problem solver. We see like the chronic relapse rate of addiction and my passion and my heart is to kind of take addiction apart and look at what's on the inside. How is this happening? Why is this happening? So that if, if we can just save one more person, if we can help one more person not relapse, then we did our job, you know? So I'm really passionate about this. I want to look at just a couple of statistics real quick because I think we all know that addiction is a beast and it's it's huge, most definitely, <laughs> you know, so I mean, right now, let's see, 
Almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction, yet only 10% of them get treatment. That's, wow. That's a lot. That's huge. Oh my goodness. Drug overdoses have more than tripled since 1990. It's not getting better. It's getting worse right now. So can we put most of that just within last year with the pandemic? Can we blame a good bit of that on that? The pandemic has definitely affected everything because you already isolate yourself yeah. when you're dealing with addiction. And now people have been forced to isolate. Another issue with the pandemic is that the stimulus checks. Ooh. Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't cause, think about that. Yeah, would cause a lot of overdoses. I mean, I feel like I got a call every other week during the pandemic about overdoses. So that that definitely didn't help, um, especially for those with like mental health issues. Right. That's that's not going to help at all. From 1999 to 2017, more than 700,000 Americans overdosed and died from drugs, which oh is just goodness. shocking to think about. Alcohol and drug addiction cost the U.S. economy over $600 billion every year. It's a lot. Man. Yeah, about 20% of Americans who have depression or an anxiety disorder also have a substance use disorder. So that's one-fifth of people with mental health issues. So it's a dual diagnosis. Right. I was about yeah. to say one kind of plays into the other. Right, exactly. We all know that opioid use is an epidemic right now in America. And the sad thing, and this is, this is what really breaks my heart, is that most people recovering from addiction experience chronic relapses. Right. It's like, I can it's see like that. normalized. Like yeah. we just expect that most people in recovery are going to experience chronic relapses. And I, what I love about your program is that everything you're doing is seeking to change that. Yeah. You know, everything We're you're trying. doing is seeking to empower people to not go back. So my passion is figuring out why. Why do we get addicted? Why do we destroy ourselves? It goes against our biological nature to do anything that would destroy us. And also, why does it happen to anyone from any social class, any age? Why is this thing hitting everyone? So my, um, my aunt taught me every lesson left unlearned is destined to be repeated. Yep. So that's kind of my mindset is if we can figure this thing out, then we don't have to keep learning the same lesson. You know what I mean? So what I found, I looked in the Bible because I want to go there and see, you know, what God has to say about this. So what I found is um, I've got a lot of Bible verses that talk about how we become enslaved to certain things. So, for example, 2 Peter 2.19 says, They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. And it made me think about your podcast episode where um, one of your guests said, whatever you can't fast from, you're a slave to. Yep. So it kind of got my, the wheels turning in my brain. Um, I saw a couple other verses. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. That's pretty intense to me. It's not, I, uh, I tell you to abstain from sinful desires because there could be consequences. Right. It's this way just war against your soul. And, you know, I think that that's not just necessarily about uh, substance abuse or alcohol abuse. That can go for a lot of things, especially for people like in Celebrate Recovery that encompasses life's hurts, habits, and hangups, people dealing with a food addiction 
people dealing with a porn and sex addiction. Like, that's a broad area that it covers there. That's not just right. talking about, <clears throat> you know, the alcohol and the substance abuse. So that's, I think that right there can speak to a lot of people right there. I think right. you're, I don't think you're getting anybody out of that group right there. Well, recovery, everyone's recovering from something. Right, most definitely. And not only that, but we've all made something God that was never meant to be God for us. Yeah. That is no different than addiction. Addiction is the same thing. So these principles, everyone needs to learn from. Because, you know, when you lose yourself, when you downward spiral, when you go through a destructive path, even if it had nothing to do with drugs, you're enslaved to the decisions that you've made, you know? So all of this applies to that. Everyone needs to hear this for sure. This is where I really had a connection made for me in James. It said, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full growth, full grown, gives birth to death. Man. Right. That, that was huge for me. Because have y'all heard that saying, uh, sin takes you further? What is it? Sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs more mm. than you want to pay. Yep. 150%. <laughs> yeah. And this, for me, you know, you keep hearing evil desire. And then it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this was the last one that kind of brought it all together for me. In Deuteronomy, today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice that you would make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. So that was where I realized choice plays a role. Yep. In addiction it plays a huge role we wouldn't get into these situations if we didn't make the few beginning choices that that got us there before our sin took over and our sin gave birth to death does that make sense mm-hmm. yep so just know you're making some people mad out there the people that are all for disease so so I want people to realize hey there's no easy way to talk about this. Like we're, well, we're and, going to we're going to make some people mad, uh, and that's okay. Uh, don't send us your angry emails. Send them to Amy. <laughs> we, we don't want it. Uh, but you know, for a while, for a very long time, I was the kind of I was I, I thought it was a disease. But if you're if you are that type where you think it is a disease, don't. Stop playing this episode right. yet. Finish listening to how Amy is going to set this up because I promise you, the first time that I heard Amy go through this, I was like, this woman just changed my mind. Right. Like, right. and I'm not the kind where I, I do that. So, so if you're, if you're that type of person, don't get mad just yet. Don't hit stop. Don't exit out of YouTube or Apple or whatever you're listening to. Give it a few minutes and just hear how Amy's going to set this up for you, okay? Right. And I do believe that sometimes God will break your heart to save your soul. You know what I mean? So 
tough conversations need to be had so that we can live a better life and so that we can become the person that God intended us to be. Um, so addiction starts with choices. And at some point, the sickness enslaves us. This is biblical. Addiction ends in choices. You have the power of choice every single day. To me, the choice argument is empowering. It's like, wait, wake up. You're the driver of your bus. You're the captain of your ship. Guess what? You can choose to have a different life than this. And I'll be the first to say that I know that addiction is more complex than to be able to reduce it to a choice or a disease. It can't be reduced to either one. But choice absolutely plays a part in the whole thing. And that's great news. Because if, if you made choices to start it, you can make choices to end it. Ooh. Yeah. What this means is <laughs> these compromises, because we all know, just like relapse doesn't start at relapse, it starts way before that. Yes. Addiction doesn't start whenever you can't stop using drugs. It starts way before that, right? So the, I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Because there's a quote that I just discovered, the chains of addiction are too light to feel at first until they become too heavy to be broken. Oh, wow, that's good. Yeah. That's so good. I'm glad that you brought that because that is exactly, man. Well, don't you think it's really comes down to compromises? Like our compromises are killing us because those are the little, little choices that we start making that lead us down this path. So like, just like we said, backsliding doesn't happen at relapse. It happens when we forget that recovery is a daily fight for our soul. Yeah. It happens when we forget that our choices matter. It happens when we forget that we're in the driver's seat of our life. And it happens when we choose to blame others rather than take ownership. It happens when we forget that secret keeping in recovery is signing someone's death certificate. It happens when we choose to feed our desires and temptations rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's recovery. That's healing. What do you think? Don't you think it's the compromise that comes down to these little bitty choices we make over time? Yes. You know, well, I mean, I think if you continuously compromise, um, that becomes your subconscious thought pattern, you know? And so you compromise this and then you give away a little bit of yourself and you continuously do that with compromises and eventually you lose your identity. You know, you lose exactly who you are, who you wanted to become or who you thought you could be, yeah. you know. Um, and so, like I tell people a lot, you have the power within you to control your own lifestyle, you know. So <clears throat> and people that I've sponsored, you know, they continuously ask, well, man, how did you make the change? I decided to take power back over my life, you know, and decided to make choices that weren't just compromises, but they were life-changing. They were geared towards the life I desired, you know? And so I think that in part and time, you know, happens, you know, uh, but it has to happen for the person to make the decision to say, I'm done, you know, but that's a choice. Absolutely. That's the choice to do that, you know, so. Well, you know, and the compromises, I think, yes, I agree with what Amy said about compromises, but I also think that we get to compromises when we become complacent in our recovery. I think getting this sense of, I've got this. But I doesn't think, the compromise take you back to denial, almost? 
it can. That's a good point. I I think that it could. I think. I don't think it's just compromise. I think a sense of complacency can take you back to denial. I think both of them lead back to denial. You know that story about the two wolves? Yeah, yes. You know, the light wolf and the dark wolf? The compromises is which one are you feeding? Yeah. You know, which part of yourself are you feeding? That's the slow fade into destroying your life. That's addiction. You know what I mean? And my grandfather, some of you probably know my grandfather. His name's Charlie Haynes. He started Righteous Oaks Recovery Center in Chunky, Mississippi, as well as Jacobswell Recovery Center for Women in Poplarville and Damascus Road Recovery Center for Men as well. When we told you that she was recovery royalty, we didn't lie. Princess. (laughs) He taught me a lot. And here's one thing he taught me. He would always say, addiction isn't a disease, it's a sickness. We didn't intend to destroy our lives. No one starts off saying, you know what? I'm going to choose to destroy my life today. That's not fair. That's not fair for all the people who are hurting and suffering from addiction. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire, it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown gives birth to death. But I want to talk more about the sickness. I want to talk more about what that really looks like because we've looked at the spiritual side of things and we've looked in the bible because that's where we got to go first obviously but now i want to look at the biological things the sociological things that kind of contribute to this being a sickness does that sound good can we talk about that a little bit sure sure floor let's uh (laughs) let's not just talk about it let's just go ahead and just kick off the shoes and let's just dive straight on in there let's Let's put on the, the the snorkels and the fins, and let's just let's let's go. <laughs> well, I'm ready for this. So we're when, going underwater. When I tell y'all <laughs> that I've been looking forward to this, like I've known this episode was coming for a while, and I have been so pumped about this because these are conversations that we've got to have. Right. Yeah. These are conversations that we have got to have in recovery, not just in recovery. These are just conversations that we have to have, and we're not. So. I'm excited. I'm ready to unpack this. Let's go. Awesome. The first thing, and I'm really passionate about this, that we are not talking about enough in recovery is trauma. Yeah. Up to 90% of women in residential recovery centers have experienced trauma. I have chills. Like, we're not even talking about this, you know? Trauma is an impactful negative event that affects one's mind, body, and spirit. You're not the same after you experience trauma. And the most um, intense versions of PTSD are a result of a lack of healing from the original, the original cause of the trauma. So if someone has experienced trauma and they're in recovery and we're not addressing that, we're doing them a disservice. Yeah. How can yeah. they get true healing if they're still, you know, haven't ha- had that experience healing for the trauma? So um, the the interesting thing is early life adversity, so uh, childhood trauma basically, has been shown to rewire the brain's reward, sim- uh, reward centers just like drug use does. So that's an underlying factor. So someone experienced um childhood trauma and then they're exposed to drug use they could be way more susceptible to developing an addiction than someone who hadn't does that make sense yeah because they're already wired for it right absolutely like for example adolescent girls who are victims of violence smoke tobacco significantly more than those who were not exposed to violence isn't that interesting yeah that's man 
That's, that's that's good stuff. And though it's kind of like a catch twenty two because once you get into addiction and a lifestyle, you put yourself in situations that are traumatizing as well. Yeah, right. You put yourself in dangerous situations, situations that could be degrading, um, and it really perpetuates the addictive process. It also brings about shame. And shame is not like guilt. Guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am bad. Yeah, right. And that's just going to perpetuate the addiction as well because you don't feel worthy enough to have have better, have anything better in life. So, well, and... I can speak for ex- uh, from personal experience with this. Shame, when you're in a relapse, shame will keep you in your relapse because, like for me, my way out of relapse is admitting that, using First John one nine, confessing it, and then I'm I'm getting out of my relapse. And shame will say you're not worthy enough to pray, like you're not worthy enough to take this before God. And so you don't pray. So now you don't pray on day one. You're not praying on day two. And before long, you're three months into this and you're not praying and you're stuck. Absolutely. Like I can speak from like that was me. Like, oh, man. Yes. Shame is. That was definitely my story. We can can have a whole nother. Thing on episode on well shame. i mean the shame and guilt of my relapse period almost put me in the ground yeah. i mean it and you know i was at suicide level at that point just because yeah. i didn't know how to break out of it you know right. um because there was so much trauma that i was experiencing uh by putting myself in these positions you know um but i was going to ask you something as far as trauma not being talked about how often do we put trauma on a scale and grade it from well, that's not that bad of a trauma situation. We're not going to talk about that. Oh, my God. That, we're up here with the trauma situation now. So now address it. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but so I think even the people with this little trauma, what you would consider little trauma is trauma, period. Absolutely. It alters the brain and, and literally makes you think completely different about situations. It changes. <clears throat> I'm going to quote Greg Comp on this one. It changes your worldview. You know, and then that changes your values and beliefs. And if that changes and all of a sudden you see that change in actions and behaviors about what somebody's doing either to themselves or what they're presenting to the world. You know what I mean? Because the way they view themselves, obviously, they don't if they're not valuing themselves, they don't believe in themselves. They're going to danger. They're going to put themselves in danger and they're going to be harmful towards themselves. You know what I mean? So that's my take on trauma. But it's really about changing the viewpoint. You know, when you really get down to the nitty gritty of it, which can only happen through healing, but you have to get to the root issue. Absolutely. Yeah. So absolutely. And, you know, for churches that have recovery meetings or for anyone from recovery centers that are watching the three primary stages of trauma treatment, this is really simple. And it's something you can implement into your meetings and your recovery centers are number one, establishment of safety. So there needs to be a safe space where you can be honest and you can even think about looking at this beast of trauma that is there. Remembrance and mourning, that's when the communication happens. That's when you allow yourself to to talk through what happened. You cry, you cry that version of yourself that died on the day that this trauma happened. You mourn for her or for him. And the third is reconnection with everyday life. Because when you've been through trauma, simple things like being playful and having fun and being creative are extremely difficult to a traumatized brain and a traumatized person. 
Does that hmm. make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. You see anxiety kick up in what something you would think would be a, a simple interaction. The anxiety's already peaked. Sorry. Um, so either you get anger in return right. or you get, you know, the the run fear, you know, uh, forget everything and run, you know, type of scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So trauma is a big reason that we cannot simply say that addiction is a choice. When you've been through trauma and you don't know how to cope with the pain that you're dealing with, this is why a lot of people look to drugs or alcohol or whatever their addiction is, food, relationships. They look to these things to numb from the pain they don't know how to deal with. It's really that simple. I had someone in one of my devotions that was in our recovery center. She said, I was sober for 20 years. And I said, why did you relapse? She said, because my mom died and I didn't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to deal with these difficult emotions. And so that's a part of the sickness that is addiction. That's a part of the, hey, I need someone to pull me out of this. I can't yeah. do this on my own. I need help. That's a huge part of it. And then, you know, you hear the nature versus nurture argument. And this is blowing my mind right now. So, you know, everybody always said, well, nature, uh, addiction, you're born and it's determined by your genes that you're going to be an addict, which I don't think many of us really bought that. You know what I mean? Right. <clears throat> nurture, which argues that your environment, the way you're raised, the amount of support that you have in your life, uh, that would determine whether or not that you um, have a propensity for addiction. However, new genetic research is showing that your environment, environment means the five people you spend the most time around. Environment means your education. Environment means your family environment. Is it conflict all the time? Or is it a healthy, open environment? So everyone that you're you're um, talking with or, or have relationships with, that's your environment. And what the research is showing is your environment triggers gene expression. So it's not nature versus nurture. It's nature via nurture. Your environment is triggering the gene expressions that could be manifesting the addiction that you're dealing with. Environment is everything in addiction. And this is a big reason why I totally believe we cannot go back to the same place and do, different, do things differently. Yeah. We absolutely cannot. We're kidding ourselves. Have you ever noticed, I had, I had a girl that was in our program that she would go visit home. She stayed on into our secondary program. She said she would go visit home and she would start talking like she used to, just being in that environment. Wow. It triggers these physical things for us. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, you know, there's a... I'm saying where you cannot heal in the same environment that you got sick in. Like you've, <clears throat> you've got to go elsewhere. So that, that makes perfect sense. You know, Rat Park, that's a, a very commonly. Please go into the Rat Park. <laughs> we, we will make time for Rat Park. For Rat Park. Yep. Like for anybody that has not heard of this story, you're in for a treat. Right. I, I, out of all the the stories ah go ahead <laughs> so Rat Park is uh there's Alexander um he did a uh experiment where he put rats in cages by themselves with nothing else in the cages and there would be two little water bottles one was water and one was a drug infused water and what he found was that when they were in the cages by themselves they would consume the drug induced um water until they overdosed then he said, okay, 
let me try something different. Let me create a different environment for these rats and see if there's any difference in the drug use. And, the, um, and so what he found was he created Rat Park. And this had tons of rats where they could have relationships and breed. There were playthings. There was food. Everything that a rat could possibly want was in this rat park. And what they found was the rats may taste the drug-infused water, but they would never overdose, and they would eventually start using just the regular water. So this screams environment is everything. And what, one thing about environment and recovery uh, is you should never rely on your willpower when you first are in recovery. Yeah, true. Man, true your enough. environment has to be set up where you cannot fail. You cannot rely. It's too, this is too much of a beast. Right. You can't expect to go to a six-month recovery center and then just go out and we're good. That's just not realistic. The number one thing that everybody kept telling me in the beginning was get a support system, get a network of people that you can trust and talk to, and fall back on, you know, because obviously <clears throat> when we're when we're created by God, you know, he gave us animals to be around first and then he gave us the partner, the wife. Right. So we're supposed to be around people yeah. and groups. You know, we're not supposed to be alone. We're not made for that. You know, and I think that when people initially start using or they make that choice to say, all right, I'm going to medicate my issue with this, they separate themselves. That's where that isolation comes from. They just automatically put themselves apart, whether it be physically, mentally, by telling themselves, well, nobody's going to understand who I am. That was my biggest thing, was nobody was going to understand what I'm going through because it's just me. Right. You know what I mean? And so I set myself aside, and then all of a sudden, that's exactly what I did. Right. And you know, I just continued to use because nobody's going to get what I have to say. Nobody's going to want to hear what I have to say. So, yeah. Yeah, we have to set up the environment where we cannot fail. That's why second step programs are so important. This is where churches could really step up and create secondary. They could just get a house, have a secondary program where they're helping their members reintegrate back into society, still in their hometown, but in a totally different environment where they're drug tested regularly, there's accountability. And now their environment has set them up where they yep. cannot fail. And. They can also provide structure, people in recovery and recovery, and those uh, rehabilitation programs do so well when there's structure. Right. Hey, I get it this time. I make my bed. I do this. I got this going on at this time. I laugh because I think we've talked about this before. No, we have. Why? Why I get it's up so at four? Good. Why I get up at four o'clock in the morning? If you look <laughs> at it, people have a higher success rate of maintaining their sobriety through routine with the structure of routine yep. when there's not compared to those who don't have it. Whenever I was in a cycle of relapses, it was because I didn't have a structure. Right. But once I implemented that, I mean, it, it was a complete 180. Yeah. Complete. So how do you feel about structure when it comes to that, when it comes to routine structure or anything like that? What are your thoughts on that? The addictive personality desperately needs structure, routine, schedule. I think that's what's so powerful about our programs because the, the residents in our programs are working six days a week. And, you know, the first 30 days, we call that the survival period. Yeah. And we say, look, you have no responsibilities. Just do the program. We don't have to have any serious talks. Just make it to 30 days. And the structure alone 
does so much healing. After 30 days, they're like a different person. Oh, and man. It's 100% because of the structure. That's why I push the second step programs because you have to get a job as soon as you, you know, get to the second step program. But let me tell you something that's going to blow your mind. I created this transition program with our women. And basically what it was was at 90 days at the halfway point, I started asking them about their plan when they graduated. One out of every three women, when I would ask them about their plan, I'd say, where are you going to go? They'd tell me where they're going to go. And I'd say, what is the likelihood that you will relapse there? And they said, I most likely will. One out of every wow. three women said, I'm going to go here and I will most likely relapse. Isn't that insane? That yeah. is crazy. That you would put yourself in basically the line of fire. You know, but that's because they're they're going back to what they know. Exactly. That's it's their identity. Actually. Yeah. And this can take us into identity because identity is all about your self worth. You know what I mean? So one of my mentors taught me that your identity is like a thermostat. If my identity is out of sixty five and life starts going really well and it's heating up and I'm doing good at school and my relationships are great and healing is happening, but my identity is still a 65, I will self-sabotage. I'm not just going to stop here. I'm going to self-sabotage. I'm going to go into a destructive cycle. It's going to be bad. Right. The work of recovery is in upgrading your identity because you will never outperform your own self-worth. It's just not going to happen. So these, you know, these girls were 90 days into the program they didn't have the upgraded identity yet to even be able to possibly think about something different. Just right. like you said, they're going back to what they know. There were um, there was an experiment done where they put dogs in cages. Half of the dogs were electrocuted, not electrocuted, like shocked. shocked. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's call it what it is. They were electrocuted. <laughs> like, hey, all right, you're gonna you're gonna have them singing that song with uh, the cage on across our video for too long. <laughs> I will oh, remember yeah. you. Yes. You know. <laughs> because they would shock the, the half of the dogs and the other half they wouldn't. When they opened all their cages, guess what the dogs that have been shocked did? They stayed in their cages. Interesting. So they didn't yeah, leave. They, they did not leave because guess what? When we've been traumatized and we've been through addiction and we've been through hard things, we got to stay with what's familiar, just yeah. like you said. We stay with what we know because known pain is better than unknown pain. Whoa. Oh, okay. So basically it's like the fear of what's out there. It's more scarier than f the feeling that you're already oh, feeling. I got it. Bro. Yeah, that that's was, deep. I mean, that that's... was so good. Go ahead and give that to him again, because that was. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we're. I think they're still comprehensive. One more time, hit, hit them with that one more time. Half of the dogs were shocked, and the other half of the dogs in cages were not shocked. When they opened all the doors, the dogs that had not been shocked ran out, went to go play, happy go lucky. The other dogs stayed in their cages because. They needed the familiar pain. They were they were too traumatized. They've been through too much pain to even be able to think about something new because known pain is better than unknown pain. When we've been hurt, we stick with familiar. That's why people who end up in these toxic relationships and they never leave, it's yep. because known pain is better than unknown pain. People, this is crazy, people who date people that are like their parents, it's because known pain is better than unknown pain. Yep. So identity, Man. identity is everything. When you're in recovery, you should be working every day on upgrading your identity. And there's only two ways that you can really do that. Repetition and um, intense emotional experiences. So repetition is like having your quiet time every morning, talking to your sponsor, talking to your mentors regularly. 
Um, repetition is all about rewiring those neural pathways that have been wired the wrong way. We're trying to build new neural pathways. Intense emotional experiences, um, that's like when you're at worship and it's just so intimate and you're crying and you're just worshiping God. It's like when you go meet with your pastor and you just have real vulnerable conversations and you experience healing. When you go to therapy, when you have a vulnerable moment with a peer and you just experience healing because you're, you're just being your whole true authentic self and talking about things maybe you haven't been able to talk about before. There was a study that said <coughs> people who have like a spiritual breakthrough experience, it's like an intense emotional experience in recovery, 82% of them were still sober a year later. Hmm. 82%. percent mm -hmm versus the 10% sobriety rate on your average group of people that went through recovery. 82%. So, man, yeah. identity is pretty important. Upgrading your identity yes. is pretty important. But, <clears throat> that's the most important part about working the steps, though. And I think a lot of people miss that when they work the steps. They think, oh, well, you know, I'm working these steps. You know, because the program says so. Well, but really, you're recreating. You're, you're relearning yourself at that right. point. You're relearning so you can recreate, right? So you're relearning through, what, steps one through four. You're learning who you used to be, what you did, uh, even in your addiction and beforehand. And then yeah. the, the steps after is about, you know, going out, starting to recreate that. And then by the end of it, you have that spiritual awakening. Right. And then all of a sudden your eyes boom you're kind of open to that you know that's yeah. why the step study that you know we've both been through lasted a year have drew have you, have you ever josh have you ever had <laughs> a um like intense emotional experience in your recovery have you ever had that that spiritual most definitely oh, oh my gosh most definitely wasn't that a game changer for you yes it was one of those where it was it was almost like that moment of like people talk about clarity like they right. have a moment of clarity and that's that's the best way is like you instantly step out of the fog and you can see yeah. yeah like it's you know it when you when it happens like there's no way that you don't know it like it's yes yeah what about you yeah oh definitely um mine came in, in an odd place though i was actually uh in jail about to go to prison and I just, I, I, I found no other way out. I found no other way for peace. And, and so finally I started praying. Um, and I started, you know, trying to look back at what steps I took, where I went wrong, right? But God, man, he came in and he was just like, we're not worried about that. We're worried about making you somebody new. Right. And it was like, he was just sitting there with me and yeah. I just started bawling. I mean, it was just, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, it was a thunder lightning, you know, experience. This put me more at peace than I'd probably ever been in my entire life. Right. You know, that because I was finally seeing what God intended for me, right. if that makes any Absolutely. sense. You know, I could start to see the pathway as even where I was at, you know. So I kind of feel like Paul a little bit, you know, not saying I'm Paul. Right. But I felt, yeah, and it was just kind of like, all right, wow. So. I'm here now, but this is not where I, this is not where I'm going to stay. Yeah, you know, God was saying, God was saying, look, I've set you aside from everywhere else because you won't change your environment, so to speak. Right. So this is your change of environment to change your mindset. So follow seeing, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So seeing the effects of environment on people in addiction, identity, trauma, do we see how this really is a sickness? Like it starts off with choices. 
but you lose yourself. Yeah, big it time. It is very difficult to pull yourself out. In fact, most people cannot pull themselves out. Most people need a rock bottom experience. Usually that involves incarceration or... Um, like or for me, but lose my family, divorce. Yeah, exactly. That's 99%. I asked the women last week, I said, how many of y'all experienced a rock bottom experience before you got help? All of them raised their hand except for one. And she said, no, Amy, I didn't have a rock bottom experience. I had a rock bottom of rock bottom. Ooh, yeah. So that, that affirms the fact that this becomes a sickness. Most people are not able to willfully pull themselves out of it. And for people going through addiction that are, are going through recovery, the most important thing about this is ask for help. There is no shame in asking for help. This thing is a sickness. And when you're in it, you're in it. And we are here for you. The only way you're going to get out of it most likely is not on your own. You need God. You need a support system. I think really if you have a support system, you can make it through the recovery process. For those yes. who don't have a support system, you need to go find one. These recovery centers and locally are incredible. They will give you the family you need if you don't have that. Yep. Or your local recovery that. group. Absolutely. Yeah. Twelve step. Uh, or not. I mean, there's several people that has made a successful recovery without a twelve step. Hey, if that's what works, do it. Right. Uh, but yes, get plugged in somewhere and get connected. That yes. You know what's crazy about faith-based recovery, like CR and other recovery centers. I, you know, I'm a I'm a school person. I'm an analyzing <laughs> type of personality. So I was never really sure if statistically, like I always wondered, statistically, are faith-based treatments the way to go? Right. You will not believe this. Eighty-four percent of scientific studies show that faith-based programs are beneficial to the recovery process. These faith-based programs save the U.S. economy an average of $316 million a year. Wow. <laughs> Is that a mic drop or a pin drop? Yes. <laughs> that Listen, scientists are saying that faith-based interventions are so successful that the decrease in America's spiritual affiliation is considered a national health concern. I mean, we talked about addiction rates have tripled right. since 1970. Our nation is kind of drifting away from God. I mean, it it kind of it matches up a little bit. So, I mean, God is the way to go. Yeah. Yes. We need him. We really need him. But, you know, when you step outside of faith-based recovery, um, everybody says plug into a higher power, power source, wherever the case may be. You know, um, of course, we know it's God. Right. Um, but they always say, man, my higher power is leading me here, leading me there, is doing this for me. Because you have to connect to something bigger than yourself in order to change. Because you connect in, into yourself. It's like plugging into, uh, you ever seen those, those power strips? You can take the plug of the power strip and plug it into the power strip. Nothing happens. Right. But when you plug it into a main source, all of a sudden it changes everything. Right. Everything turns on at that point. Yes. You know, so you have to plug into something bigger than you. Yep. You know, and I think that's um, I'm going to step outside the bounds of this a little bit. But I think that's where service work really comes in yes. and to play, too, because you start learning your identity and stuff. And that becomes hobbies for you. You know, whenever you're trying to make different choices and you don't know what choice to make, obviously service work is a good choice. Right. You know, it's something that you can 
tie yourself into where you're pouring in other people. Yeah, because where there's empty space in mm -hmm. recovery, negativity will fill it. Yeah. Not maybe, not if, and, or but. Negativity will fill it. So, like, service work is so important to fill in that extra space. And just like you're talking about plugging into a higher power, listen to this. The three primary factors that help people in recovery maintain sobriety after treatment are maintaining a relationship with God, family connections, and spending one's time with people who are positive. Environment is everything. Your yeah. relationships are everything. Yeah, because I want to say, it may have been you that said this, uh, you are the average of the five people that you are around. So yes. if the five people that you hang around with are dopeheads, well, you're the sixth dopehead. Yeah. Right. I mean, you, I you're, think it's income, mental anything. health, all of it. You're, you're hanging around five poor people. You you're going to be the next poor yeah, person. Exactly. Hang around five geniuses. Guess what? Right. You know, it's, it's only because we mirror the next person. Um, it's always a mirror effect. So, yeah. If we were to sit here for years and talk about this, uh, you know, of course we are going to, uh, but, <laughs> but that's become, that becomes your identity at that yeah. point. That starts to become that thing that you start in a mirror off the next person, you know. Uh, so if that one person's negative, guess what you're going to do? Yeah. You're going to start complaining and yeah. griping and being negative and everything that's else. Fine. But if you've got somebody that's positive sitting right there in front of you or five people that are positive, guess what you're going to spit out? Because the only thing that we do, we talk to ourselves, basically, about the things that we already know to other people, Right. So if somebody else is feeding you positivity, you're eating that. You're mentally eating that. You're going to spit that back out at the next person. Right. You know what I'm saying? But if you're getting negativity, negativity yeah. comes out. You're talking about addiction. Addiction is going to come out. You're talking about drugs. Drugs will come out. You know, it's it's that give and take, you know. Yep. So, well, I know we can sit here and we can continue this conversation on for the next four days. Probably. So. And <laughs> while I would enjoy that. I'm pretty sure that some people are ready for us to, to get this thing done with. But uh, before we do wrap this up, I want to talk about how we can do better, uh, how we can do better as a recovery community, but how we can do better as humans. Yeah, uh, because I'm telling you, if you have not ever seen this conversation on social media, count yourself blessed because people get ugly yeah. in the comments on these posts about choice versus disease. And it really, you, you get a little down yourself because you see how ugly people can get when talking about people in addiction. So I want, I want us to spend just a, a few minutes talking about how we can do better. Yeah. Amy, what do you got on that? I think that we need to educate ourselves and practice empathy. When you see someone in addiction or someone who comes into your church and your first thoughts are not very nice, think about you on your darkest day. And, you know, there's a reason that I don't like to use the word addict because our identity is not what we did on our darkest day. And the, the church should be a safe place for people to come because Jesus hung out with the tax collectors and the sinners. He didn't hang out with the Pharisees. So I think we need to show Jesus' love and practice more empathy and educate ourselves. Churches and meetings, I think we could have more social workers come speak about the true nature of addiction and the effects of addiction um, so that people are get that more well-rounded, holistic 
uh, healing that they need so that their mind, body, and spirit is all addressed in, in the healing process. Most definitely. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, well, Drew, before I answer, I want, I want Drew, what was the one you wanted to talk about? About the barriers. Oh, geez. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, there's there's tons of recovery groups that are out there. Um, but, and they're, they're great. Each one in its own aspect is great. But the thing that I think that could change with it, that I think needs to be addressed more, is the fact that each recovery group has a barrier. They have some kind of barrier blocking that person that says, oh, well, you know, don't say this here. Uh, if you're in a, don't talk about your, your narcotic addiction. Um, and if you're in NA, sometimes it gets a little touchy when you mention Jesus, because everybody, obviously they, they want to be all, you know, um, inclusive when it comes down to it. They want to, of course, if you, somebody celebrates a lot and all that kind of stuff, they want to be inclusive in that. But to me, you're limiting somebody's way of speaking about what they've been through, about what's changed them, about maybe giving somebody else some courage or encouragement, because we only give away what we have by sharing our strength, hope, uh, and our experiences, right? But the whole thing is, it's like, even when you go to church, I think, I feel like, you know, when we go to celebrate recovery or um, U-turn, Lifeline, some of these places, uh, whenever you get there, I feel like sometimes you're limited on what you can say only because they don't want to offend the next person. You know, but what if that's offensive to that person? What if that's hurting that person because they feel like they're having a steel trap put over their mouth and they can't say what they need to say? Have to wear that mask. Yeah. You know, I mean, so basically you're having to put up another facade and you haven't become something else again, you know, instead of being authentic. I think it ruins people's authenticity. You know, I think it takes them back a little bit and they're having to sit back and they're like, okay, well, what can I say? And then they get lost in that. They lose their identity and themselves again because they don't know how to uh, verbalize what yeah. they're feeling. And then sometimes I feel like people don't choose certain groups because of what. And I think you can get something from every one of these groups. Absolutely. Every one of these groups. Yeah. You know, I'm one of those people I've traveled around. You know, I've been to NAAA. Uh, I've been to CR. I've been to uh, two people sitting on the back porch talking about recovery. You know what I mean? Because I feel like I'm one of those people. I like to learn. I like knowledge. I want knowledge from every aspect. I want to hear what you have to say. You have to say. You have to say. Um, because I feel like there's always something to gain from it. Yep. You know what I mean? But when we're creating these barriers around people and we're not letting them teach, because that's initially what we're doing. We're allowing them to not only teach us, but themselves as well, because I feel like the more that we say some certain things, like even in this conversation, you know, this 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 show with you today, <laughs> did I check you up a little bit? <laughs> Is the royalty okay? <laughs> But even in this conversation with you, some of the things I've even said out loud, once again, not in my head, but out loud, right. I've learned something again. You know what I'm saying? Those things that we forget about yeah. get to be mentioned. You know, so I think some of these barriers, man, they can come down a little bit. You know, I think it can be and I get it. Everybody has their guidelines and their rules to go by. I'm not telling anybody to jeopardize those. But what I'm saying is to. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You're fired already. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But I think some of these things, those hard barriers that we're saying, no, don't say that. Right. You know, all of a sudden you're you're telling somebody, shh, they already feel like they're not being heard. Right. That's what yeah. started some of this off for them. The lack of being heard is traumatizing. Right. Well, and and that kind of leads into to mine that I feel like 
an area that we can do better in is churches, churches in general. Yeah. I feel like when we, uh, the churches have a great opportunity to offer help to people. And a lot of times they sweep it under the rug. Yeah. Because they don't know how to talk about it or, or so they kind of, they kind of get you as quiet as quick as they can. So I, I don't know. I feel like churches have a great opportunity to provide a lot of help. And they just don't. Maybe it's just a lack of training. Maybe that's what I was about to say. Is maybe, it a lack of education? Maybe that's it. But and I know churches, and especially in this area, get a bad rep because they just like we were sweeping a rug. We ain't gonna talk yeah. about that here. Uh, so that can yeah. But also another area that I think that how we can do better is I think that people. In recovery, the recovery community can they can do better by recovering out loud, yeah, despite knowing the stigma, and that goes back to everything that we do here at Unashamed. We are trying to break the shame and the stigma and the barriers of addiction and recovery, and we do that by breaking our anonymity and by living our recovery out loud and by owning our story. And I think that's super important. I think right. that's a very huge area and where we can do better at. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I think at the end of this conversation, I think we can arrive at one point where we can all agree, whether you're on the Call it a disease or call it a choice. Whatever side you're on, I feel like we can agree on this part. Call it a disease. Call it a choice. Call it whatever you want to. But while you're arguing over what it's called, people are dying and people are needing help. And their families and their friends and their lives are being destroyed while we're arguing about it. Yep. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Amen. Uh, I think... This episode is a great way to start off season three. I'm excited about what season <laughs> three is going to offer. Uh, and But that winds it up for this first episode of season three. Uh, I want to thank Amy for coming and sharing with us today and being here. And I sincerely hope that today's episode has been some type of help or some type of ray of sunshine that is going to help you on your recovery journey. Uh, and mind changing. I hope it's just been mind changing. Most definitely. You know, that it's been eye opening to say, yep. you know, man, I didn't know that, you know, or because like I said, I think the more we give out, you know, the more people yep. learn about it, the more empathy we can have, right. Most you know. Um, and another thing I want to mention this about empathy, because when you said it, it just it was ready to fly out then. And I was just like, nope. <laughs> but um, with empathy, you have to listen to the person's story as if they, you're going through it with them. That's the biggest thing, because I think when sometimes we listen and we're trying to understand what somebody's telling us, I think we, we start judging a little bit or we, we close our mind off. Oh, that really didn't happen like that. You know, we have to feel it the way they felt it. That's the only way empathy is going to work. Do you want to be a guest on the Unashamed Recovery podcast like Amy was today? And maybe you have a story of redemption that you want to share with our listeners. Feel free to email us at the Unashamed Recovery podcast. And it's going to be unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. Unashamedpodcast at yahoo.com. 
uh, and Amy, maybe somebody wants to reach out to you and maybe they have a question for you or maybe they want to see what getting help at Jacob's Well. Or maybe they want to get you to come speak at their recovery group or their church. What is a great way for them to reach you? Yes, if you uh, would like to reach me, you can email me at amy at jacobswellrc.com. And we'll put that on the screen for everybody so they can see that. And with that, y'all, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank y'all for your continued support of the podcast. And we are looking forward to what season three is going to bring us this year. And I hope that y'all all continue to stay sober. Yep. And I hope that y'all all continue to live unashamed. We love y'all. Love you guys. Boom. Welcome to season three. <laughs>